Good morning, everybody. Are you happy to be here today? Come on, I want to ask you one more time. I need to hear from you. Are you happy to be in church today? Man, it's good to see everybody. We had a great time uh, this last week. We had our dream team uh, Christmas party on Wednesday where we celebrated that in the year 2021, we had over 800 people raise their hand to accept Christ at Vibrant Church. Come on, there's something worth clapping about. That was awesome. And then yesterday, of course, we had our Giving Hope, and it was a great time. And uh, we had over, I believe, 60 children that uh, received Christmas this year because of your generosity. So give yourselves a hand. Thank you so much for all your support and making things like that happen. We're glad that you're here today. We're going to continue a series called The Invitation. Everybody say The Invitation. And in this series last week, we broke open the idea that God is sending invitations to us. And for some, it may be the invitation of salvation. If you've never received Christ, our prayer is that even by the end of this service, that you'll be saved. Come on, somebody. Amen. Not only that, but we also are, we also believe that an invitation that God could be sending is the invitation of, of being more open to the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging your heart. An invitation has been sent to your life to forgive somebody or to love somebody. And for everybody, it's a different, we believe, invitation. And last week, we gave you the opportunity uh, to take a light bulb in the lobby of the church and to write on the light bulb the names of individuals that you're believing that God is going to save in this Christmas season. And we asked you to write the names of people that you're going to be inviting during our Christmas season. And we want to open it up to you who are joining us online. So if you are watching us online today, I had several people ask me this week to put bulbs up that they couldn't attend. And so I want to let you know, you can text the number 855-912-1339. And when you do that, you just text us the name and our team is going to make sure that that individual uh, is going to be written on a light bulb and we're going to put it on the board out there for you. And it's really filling up. Isn't it amazing just to see what God is doing and the hearts that are going to be believed? And here's my prayer is that, that I think it's 830 something people during, uh, the 2021 that raised their hand to say yes to Jesus. Our prayer is that we're going to pass a thousand this month. You believe that? So I need you to help me. I need you to do that. So I need you to bring some people and get people that you know need Jesus and get them in the room. And if you're watching us online, you can participate as well. So join us in prayer that God's going to do some amazing things the next few weeks and Christmas services are coming. So it's a good time to be a vibrant church. Amen. All right. So we talked about uh, the invitation last week, and I want to continue the idea out of Matthew chapter two about the wise men. Many of you have probably heard about the wise men. You have Christmas cards with the wise men walking their silhouettes with like their canes and going to go find Jesus. But I wanted to share with you the story of the wise men. And I believe out of this story shows some basic principles that we can live by today. Matthew chapter two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Everybody say troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. 
and assembling uh, all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And when they saw, the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And our final verse today, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Everybody say the invitation. Now, I want to start this off by introducing to you the players in the story. The first player you need to know is Herod. Herod was considered at the time or referred to as Herod the Great. He was a wealthy, politically gifted, loyal, demanded loyalty from people. He was an excellent uh, administrator. He was uh, also very violent. When you read his story and you read the history, historical accounts of his life, you'll find that as he grew older, he became very, uh, he had struggled with paranoia and, and he would turn to cruelty and fits of rage and jealousy. That in fact, it is believed that he killed his wife. It, it is quoted that, he's, that it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of Herod's sons. You see in verse eight that he tells the wise men, go and find him that I may worship him also. But we know after a few verses later that I didn't read in verse 16, we're gonna see that actually Herod was threatened by this new king. He didn't wanna come worship Jesus. He didn't wanna come worship this new king. In fact, he was intimidated by the very idea that there's a new king. So we see in verse 16 that King Herod doesn't want to come worship this new king. In fact, he wants everybody under the age of two that was a male to be murdered. You see that? That, that spirit has been on the earth for thousands of years. The enemy wanting to take the lives of children. And so we see that this, this Herod wanted to eliminate any idea of there possibly being another person that could overthrow him. Next, we find the chief priests and scribes. These individuals are the people who oversaw the temple activities. They were the official interpreters of the Old Testament. And so when Herod finds out about this new king, he calls for the scribes and the Pharisees, or excuse me, the priests and the scribes. And he says, all right, inform me of this new, this new king. And they begin to tell him and give him understanding of the foretold prophecies of this Messiah that is to come. And the third group of people we find in the passage are the wise men, the wise men. According to writers, these men uh, would have been considered astrologers, uh, dream interpreters. They would have studied sacred writings. They would have been pursuers of wisdom. The scripture lets us know that they come from the east looking for the star that arose. And they understood from the Old Testament, from the prophecies that were given, that a star would rise for the Messianic king to come. And so they believed that this star was an indicator. Now, for years, many of us can see the Christmas 
cards or something with the bright star over the, over the stable and the wise men coming, that this star, they believed these men were astrologers and they knew, they knew the planets well. They understood the star system well. And so they believed that this star, the scripture lets us know the star is moving. It's kind of wild when you read it, that the star is moving, indicating that it was not a natural phenomenon, that it wasn't a comet, it wasn't a supernova, it wasn't a planet, but that it was supernatural. Perhaps the star the wise men saw was a guiding angel that appeared as a star. So the wise men in the story, unlike Herod and the, and the scribes and, and the chief priests, the wise men begin their search for this new king. And upon their arrival in verse 11, the scripture lets us know three things. And I just want to go over all three of them today. And I want to pray with you today. And I believe God's going to minister to you. The first thing we see in verse 11 is this. They came. Everybody say they came. When they come, they brought themselves. They, they showed up. Now notice there was no mention of the amount of the wise men, it could have just been an entourage. They believed there was more than three. There was just three gifts, but there were more than what you could imagine. They said there could be 20 to 30, 40 people that were coming with the wise men. When they traveled and they got there, realized, noticed this, when we read the text, it doesn't say they were in the inn. They were actually in a house. So they have been traveling. When they find Jesus, Jesus wasn't an infant. He actually was more maybe close to one, maybe one and a half, and some believe even two years old by the time the wise men got there. So understand this, that they came and it was intentional. In fact, it wasn't just a 20-minute hike up the road. It just wasn't getting in the car and running down to Chick-fil-A. It was, in fact, a very big undertaking for them to travel. Some believe two months, some believe four months. In fact, others believe even as much as two years, the wise men traveled to see this new king, Jesus. And so today, I need to just take a moment and commend all the people who come to get in the presence of Jesus. I need to say thank you to the mom who this morning at first service, I saw her coming in, was ripping her kids' heads off just to get them in the house of God. And I'm like, that's cool. Because you, I'm just glad you came. You could have turned that car around. You could have went home. You could have just said, forget it. But no, we ain't going to say nothing to Bible. You can just whip those kids. We don't care. <laughs> just come on in. I got to say thank you to the single man who came in here today. You could have been hunting today. You could have just spent some time alone, but you came into the presence of God. You wanted to get to church. Shout out to all the college students that was away this weekend that you come back home. Shout out to all the Alabama fans who came to church today. If you got to praise Alabama fans, today's your day. God has shown his favor upon you. Or you either made a deal with God or the devil himself. I don't know what happened there. Got to give a shout out to the dream team who come early and stay late and, and work hard and make this happen week to week. I mean, they came. Do you know they say that in some circles, 89% of men don't want to come to church. 
There are some denominations that when you go into their services, 90% of the attendants are females. And that's not a problem, ladies. We love you. But I'm just saying it's important to have men in the house too. And it's amazing to look around the room and see men all over this church today. Give yourselves a hand, ladies. Give it up for your man. And if you're a single lady, this is a great place to find one. (laughs) They say more and more millennials are considering themselves less and less religious. People in their 20s and 30s are not wanting to go to church. But today I'm talking to people with little kids like my kids all over our church today. It just warms my heart as the pastor that that vibrant church isn't dead and we're alive and people are coming and people are coming and people are coming. We're not perfect. We're not flawless. But one thing for sure, we just keep coming. We may have mistakes. We made some mistakes this week. We may not be perfect. We don't have it all together. But I just got to commend you that despite your imperfections, you still came to the house of God. And I want to say thank you. I think God notices when we come. It's hard to explain to other people who don't prioritize coming, but, but to those of us who get up early and, and, and make the coffee and, and get our kids together and, 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 and spank our kids. Again, I'm about that. I'm really wanting to let you know. You can spank mine. I don't care. <laughs> but I want you to know today that I really do think it's hard to explain to other people when they don't prioritize coming, the power of coming. If they don't realize, sometimes they can just, well, that's our sleeping day. I don't think so. I don't. But for those of us who come, we know there's just something about getting in the house of God and things happen in God's house that just don't happen anywhere else. I'm so glad for the house of God. Can I get a big amen, somebody? The second thing they did, I feel it this morning. Are you feeling it? I feel I have in church. Next thing is they worshiped. They worshiped. The Bible says they fell down once they came in and they worshiped. Now, here's the thing about worship. Many of us have some preconceived ideas of what we think worship really is. You know, many of us think that worship is the first 10 to 15 minutes of a service and we got our coffees and we're waiting and let's get moving. Let's get to the preaching. I got to beat the Baptist church to Cracker Barrel. Let's go. I shouldn't have said that. Because <laughs> you ain't beating Baptist to any restaurant. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but people think that worship is the music, or they think that it's just like, come on, let's get to the preaching, or like, let, let's just move on, Pastor Ethan. Like it's, and I've heard people say, you know, I'm not really a worshiper, Pastor Ethan. I just come for the word and the coffee and the single ladies, but I, I, I'm not really a worshiper. And you know, when you come to church, you see people worship in different ways. You see people with hands raised. Sometimes you'll see people with tears running down their cheek. Sometimes you can see people sitting in their chair with their hand on their heart. Worship looks different in different ways, and it is just an expression of our gratitude toward God. Because here's the thing. I don't even got to go to your house, Alabama fans, to know you were shouting and dancing and praising God last night. I don't even got So when we come to the house of God, is, it, is there anything wrong with making a little noise? Is there anything wrong with putting your hands together? Is there anything wrong with cheering and giving God praise? So there are many people that say, I don't really do all that. And that's okay. Everybody's got a different temperament. My wife has a very quiet temperament. If my wife ran around this church, honey, you'd have to pick me up off the floor. 
I wouldn't believe it if I even saw it. I'd be like, she's full of the devil, cast it out. But her temperament is calm, and that's beautiful. She worships God. She, I'm more gregarious. I'm louder. I'm, going, I'm just a more a vibrant individual. So you see me. I step out. My hands are. I'm just worshiping God. And so people can say, I don't worship, Pastor Ethan. Don't worry. Let me help you. It's not if you worship. It's what you worship. God had created us to be worshipers. Timothy Keller said it like this. Every person, religious or not, whether they go to church or not, is worshiping something to get their worth. We are all worshiping something. We are idol-making factories, as Timothy Keller, Timothy Keller says, that we are worshiping something, and something we get our worth from. So how do you know? How do you know the object of your worship? How do you know the object of your worship? Here it is. Anything that is so central and essential to your life, should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Now, you may be thinking that's extreme, Pastor Ethan, but I want to help you understand that whatever you worship has a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy and emotional and financial resources on it without even second thought. So we worship different things. Many people worship, worship their attractiveness. You know that? That may not be for all of us, but there's some of y'all. Not me. I'm just sad. Yeah, it ain't. I've never looked in the mirror and be like, man, I worship that face. That's a fact. <laughs> but some people will worship their status, their business, their income, their significance, their security. Some people worship their family. Some people worship the idea that they're educated, they're intelligent, and none of those things, hear me, none of those things are wrong. It's just wrong when those things have you. When you begin to prioritize those things that, that, that you find significance and security from, when those are compromised, how does that make you feel? And, and that will reveal to you the, the object of your worship. If somebody was to take God from you, if someone was to take his word from you, if someone was to say, you can't worship God, you can't pray, how would that make you feel? Am I helping anybody? The Bible says they came and they worshiped. Watch this here. This verse says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now, I want you to catch this. It's not necessarily talking you have to kneel. The point of this verse, I believe, is that there should be physical expression to your worship. I think you should clap. I think you should raise your hands. I think you should make noise. I think that we would lose our minds if, if like some famous person walked in this room. You know what? If, if like... A, well, I don't know if you would cheer for whatever president. I don't know. Let's leave that alone. If somebody came in this room was a performer, an entertainer, if we would stand on our feet, we would up. If the Queen of England come in and be like, "Oh yes, 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 Queen of England," but yet we are in the very presence of God. And we can sit there on our phones and be disinterested. My thing is, when the king comes in, we should act like the king came in. We shall put our hands together and honor him. The Bible says that he, he inhabits the praises of his 
people. I think God will move right past our buildings and our plans and our programs and our budgets and your problems and your issues and say, if they're going to praise, I'm going to come down to where they are and I'm going to get in their midst and anything could happen in the presence of God. Can I get a little help on second service today? I look at worship as a recalibrator of our system. That all week long you go through all these confusing moments and arguments and work work drama and your ex-husband and the kids and the weekend and you're just so busy. But when you come into the presence of God, there's just something about recalibrating your system and just saying, God, I love you today. I thank you for your worship. I thank you. I thank you for your blood. I thank you that I get to come in. Thank you for that. My kids are healthy. Thank you that, you know what? We didn't starve this week. You but our car started this morning. Just worshiping God. You ever, uh, you ever got a new car? You ever get a new car? And, and that thing is totally spotless, right? There's nothing like a brand new car. It's just totally clean. Anybody, just come on, talk back to me. You know what I'm talking about? You, the real nice car. And you think when you buy that car, ain't nobody gonna mess this car up. The kids are gonna ride in your car, honey, for the rest of their life. And every time somebody gets out of the car, you're taking all the trash out here, wiping down the car. But you just give that some time. You just give that a couple months. And before long, you're going through Taco Bell drive-thru, taking all the crap from Jack's drive-thru and putting it in your back seat. You forgot about it. You, you don't value it like you used to. You don't treat it like you used to. You don't have the wonder for it like you used to. That's what worship is. It's having the wonderment of the soul toward God. And when we lose our wonder, we lose our worship. Am I talking to anybody? That if I was to go through your spiritual car, how dirty is our spiritual car? Do we keep it in a place of wonder? I love you, God. I love this car. I love your presence. I love your spirit. Have we lost our wonder? I think for many of us, we need to remember that God moments, spiritual moments happen a lot of times in worship. I think in times when you're at home and you're analyzing things and you can't decide and you got business decisions and you got your kids and you got life, sometimes your, your, your like compass is spinning and when you just get in his presence and you just worship him, it just settles down the noise and recalibrates your system and clears your head that you may not in your own power want to forgive somebody, but when you get in the presence of God, forgiveness gets a lot easier. When you may not want to be repenting of your sin, and you may justify it, but when you start worshiping God, you'll start realizing, hey, you know, I should, I should say I'm sorry for this. I should text that person. I should forgive that person. Am I helping anybody? I think there's something powerful about worship. You know, I was thinking about it between services that in Acts chapter 16, I believe, that Paul and Silas were in prison. And they were locked up for preaching the gospel. And the Bible says that while they were in prison, the Bible says they begin to sing praises unto God. 
And for years, I always heard this preached that when they begin to sing praises unto God, everybody's bands were loose and the foundation of the prison was shaken and God supernaturally opened up the prison doors. That's the power of God. But for years, I heard people say that when those things would happen, it's so that they could get out. Sometimes I wonder that God opened up the prison doors so God can come in. I don't know what you're facing, but I've come to tell you today, if you know how to worship and you know how to praise and you know how to put your hands together, I believe God will step into that prison cell and show up on your behalf. Can I get a little amen today? The next thing you see, Scripture says, they gave. They came in, they worshiped, and they gave. My mom was telling her little daughter the story of the wise men and telling her the story that the men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the little girl said, well, mom, clearly there were no women there. She said, why do you say that? She said, because a wise woman would have brought diapers. <laughs> the Bible says they came and they worshiped and they gave. I've heard people say for years that many people, or I'm sure you've heard it or maybe you've said it yourself, I cannot afford to be a giver. I cannot afford to be generous. If I just have more money, <laughs> isn't that the prayer of a lifetime? I could fill the altar right now if I started saying, anybody need more money, come down for prayer. If I just had more money, then I would be more generous. But, and I just wanna help you understand that, is that the scripture lets us know that if you're faithful with little, if you're faithful with little, he'll make you ruler over many. So this idea that if you had more, you'll give. And, and that's not accurate. If you don't have, if you have this much now, if you had a little bit now and you don't give now, honey, if you have a bunch later, you won't give then. Because what you wouldn't do when it's small, you won't do when it's big. I'm trying, baby girl, I'm trying. <laughs> and so here's the good news with that. Here's the good news. Everybody can be generous. Not just the rich folk. Not just the top 1%. Did you know that if you make $34,000 a year in your home, you're in the top 1% of the world? Did you know that? Did you know that if you have a pillow and some food in your cabinet and a car that just started, you're like in the top percent? So I'm trying to help you put perspective that many of us think we won't be generous until we have more. But more is a moving target. If you have 50,000 a year, you want 75 a year, and then you'll be more generous, or then you'll put money into savings, or then you'll go on vacation. But reality of it is, if you're not doing it with 50, you ain't doing it with 75. And then we get 75, and then we think, baby, if we had $100,000 a year, I would, we would never fight again. We would, me and you, me and you, you and me, me and you, we never fight again. And baby, if now we get $150,000 a year, baby, I'm telling you, we're going to go to the moon. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's this moving target. And really, I'm, I'm just gonna be honest. Can I just be really honest? What it really is, 
is not that you cannot afford it in, in this waiting day of one day when I have enough, I'll give and I'll be generous and I'll help people and I'll love people and I'll tithe. It's not this coming one day thing. The truth is, we call it frugal. Maybe we call it stingy. Maybe the Bible calls it greedy. Maybe what we call frugal and we put nice words on it, which I believe in being frugal, maybe just maybe what we're calling frugal, God's calling greedy. Now listen, it's getting quiet. Ooh, I love it. Listen, now don't you mess up my quiet moment. I just can't, I just can't. Listen to me. Remember what I was gonna say. When we, what we think is frugal, God is calling greedy. I've never one time in my life in ministry ever had anybody come up to me. My dad's a pastor. Never had not one time anybody come over to me, Tyler, and say, hey, listen, I'm I'm confessing my greed. Not one. I've I've heard people confess affairs. I've heard people confess lust. I've heard people confess anger and abuses to them and and the abuses they have given. I've never one time in my life ever had anybody sit down and say, I'm just so greedy because it's so deceptive. I wish I had time to teach it, but the Bible actually calls greed idolatry. Do you know that? It's just a moving target because when you make more money, you don't compare yourself to the world. You compare yourself to your bracket. So where you make money, you compare to the people who make money alongside you. And then you can always find someone who you think is more excessive than you to justify the why, why you spend the way you spend. It's a moving target. And so nobody wants to admit that they're greedy. No one wants to admit that they have this thing in their heart of like, I want to hold, hold, hold. But notice, when they got in the presence of Jesus, they did two things. They worshiped and they gave. I don't think you can truly be in the presence of God and not worship and not give. I think it loosens you up. It puts you in perspective of where you are. And people who refuse to worship and refuse to give, you're going to hate me. You're going to hate this. It's pride. It's pride because it takes humility to worship. I know we look tough, and it takes, war- it takes humility to really say, God, I love you today, even when you really wondered if, he, if he's even there for you. It takes humility to repent. It takes humility to ask God to forgive you. It takes humility. The Christian walk is a walk of humility, and it takes humility to pull a checkbook out. It takes humility to give to that person in need. It takes humility to give your time, your talent, and your treasure because it is a surrender of yourself. It is an assault to your arrogance to be in the presence of Jesus. Did you hear that? It is an assault to your arrogance when you are in the presence of the mighty God. When Isaiah was in the presence of God, he said, I'm unclean, I'm unworthy. Many of us can walk into the presence of God and never feel that. And my question would be, were you even there? Were you ever present? Were you ever connecting? Were you ever involving? Were you ever worshiping? Am I helping anybody? 
These gifts that were brought, they believe, lasted the amount of time to transfer Jesus and his family out of the region while there was the mass killing from Herod. An angel shows up to Joseph and, and, and it comes up with an escape plan to leave and they leave and the Bible, they, commentaries express to us that the finances, the gold, the frankincense and myrrh was enough money to take care of Jesus and his family during that time. There are people that even teach that it was enough to take care of his life. Financially, I don't know if that's true, but I've read that people teach that the gifts that were brought by the wise men was enough money to take care of Jesus financially for life. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying I've read it. But I want you to just imagine with me the power of a gift. Notice that, it, the, the, that the wise men supported the move of God on the earth. Jesus moved from one city to the other, and it was because of their generosity they could do it. I want to just close with this thought real quick, that the church will move at the speed of contribution, not at the speed of prayer and good intentions. That was the most pitiful clap I've heard all day. I'm glad you're with me on it. One of the greatest things we can ever do is put our resources into God's plan. One of the greatest things we can ever do. And yesterday, when 64 children are getting Christmas because of your generosity, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today, when you walk out of this room and the giving containers are available, or you give online, or you join us in this movement here, a vibrant church, and you want to join with us financially, when you do that, you're also supporting missionaries in Africa. And you'll probably never go and preach yourself, but somebody is, and you're a part of that. Thank you. Not only that, but during COVID, a lot of churches couldn't keep staffs. And during changes and a lot of the adjustments we've made, and here's the thing, we've not missed a payroll, we've not missed a building payment. Come on, Pat, praise God down in our front row, our CFO, that we are here today because somebody saw the power and the importance of supporting the kingdom and they were wise men and women and were willing to come into the presence of God, worship and give. I wanna show you this in closing today. There are three people in the story that we talked about at the beginning, you remember? Herod, the chief priests and scribes, and the wise men. And these are three responses to the invitation giving of a newborn king. Herod. When he hears about Jesus, he's troubled. That's where a lot of people are today. They hear about this new Jesus, this, this God thing, this church thing, and they're troubled. The other group, the chief priests and scribes, the Bible says they were educated about Jesus, but they were absent. They didn't go with the wise men. They knew about him, but didn't go see him. I think many people are there. Your grandmama went to church, your mama went to church, you were raised in Sunday school, you did this, you did that, but you're here today, or excuse me, there are people who are not here today, though they know a lot about God, they're not here. They're not searching God, not looking for God. The last one is wise men. They came, they worshiped, and they gave. So here's the closing. Most simple thing, if I can get you to catch anything, this is it. This is so profound, you're gonna be mind blown when you see it. Are you ready? Wise people are comers. 
Wise people are worshipers. Wise people are givers. Keep coming. Keep worshiping. Keep giving. Because you got to think, Jesus hadn't even done a miracle yet. The earth had never felt his weight walking yet. He hadn't opened one blind eye. He hasn't preached any great sermons. But when he was born, the cry from his mouth is all the planet earth had ever heard of this new king. And the Bible says their first response, very, they've never done anything else. The first response of this newborn king was they had to come, they had to worship, and they had to give. The first response. And I want to encourage you today, we're going to be a church that's going to keep coming, keep worshiping, and keep giving. You believe that today? Come on, put your hands together. Say, I believe it. Will you stand with us all over the room? Keep coming. Keep worshiping. Keep giving. You know, the longer I'm here, Vibrant Church, the more I like you people. <laughs> I like you too, girl. I like you too. I want to be a part of a church where my kids are surrounded by people who value coming. I don't want my kids, and I don't think you do either, to be around people who don't prioritize coming to the house of God. The Bible says that as you see the day approaching, like don't forsake our assembly of ourselves together. Now, as we see the day approaching, keep coming. That, that's, your, that's your first line of offense is that you just keep coming. I want my kids to be gathered around people who prioritize coming. Not only that, I want my kids to see worship. A few weeks ago, my wife and me were talking, and I said, I want Judah, our little five-year-old, to sit in a service, and I want him to see Daddy preaching, and I want him to see worship, and I want him to hear the music, and that's cool. And we, I know they got all that back in kids, and that's okay. I just was, we were just talking as mom and dad, because I grew up seeing it, and they worship back there, and they do all that back there, but I wanted him to see his daddy preach, because I watched my daddy preach. Is that all right? And I, I just want him to see worship. I remember my dad being, getting death threats as a pastor of a storefront church. I remember mom and dad being criticized, talked bad about. But when they came to the house of God, they just worshiped. I don't pass that on. Last thing. 
I want my kids to be around givers, generous, generous, life-giving, excessive, crazy givers. I want this church to be a part of that in our DNA, that we're raising up a generation of people that see the value of coming, the value of giving, the value of worship. It's gonna happen here. Why not here? Why not now? With your family and your friends. And can you imagine what 12 months could look like at Vibrant Church if half of this room just did what I just taught? Imagine the people we could reach, hearts that could be changed, and I believe this, and I'm getting off topic. I always do this, screw the ending of service up. But I really do believe that if you had a hand in people being saved on earth, and you may not have even prayed the prayer with them directly, okay? Maybe you weren't even there directly for the moment of them being converted in Christ. But if you were the person that gave to them to make it happen, the Bible says our works follow us into eternity. Do you know that? So you may not have even been there in Africa when they have a crusade and a thousand people gave their life to Jesus, but you were there and paid for the gas to get to the crusade and you had no idea. And until you get to heaven and all of a sudden this brother and sister come up to you saying, thank you. And you're gonna be like, me? Yeah, you? Because you are wise men and you are wise women, and you came, and you worshiped, and you gave. With eyes closed all over the room. Father, I thank you for this church family. And I just speak in openness in their heart, in their mind, in their spirit, that they're always gonna be comers despite the opposition, despite the heartache, despite questions, despite doubts, in the future, in the days ahead, their kids, their family, they're making the decision, as for me and my house, we're gonna keep coming. They're gonna be worshipers, God. They're gonna raise their hands. They're gonna abandon the past, and they're gonna love on you, and we're gonna be a generous, life-giving church in Jesus' name. If you believe it today, church, put your hands together. Give God a praise. Pastor Trey is coming at this time. I love you, church. You love me? You better love, I'm telling you. I'm questioning if I should keep loving you guys. There's so many Alabama fans here. It's starting to take my joy. I get up in the morning and I'm like, God, I gotta worship either way. Lord, I thank you. Lord, protect me, oh, though the enemy be all around me. I love you, church. I hope you have a good Sunday, okay? God bless you. May his hand be upon you and bless you.